Hi, I'm Ari Kagan. You're listening to Things You Don't Need to Know. This is our 29th episode, which makes it the second to last episode of the season. And I wanted to do something to honor everyone that makes the show what it is. I'm talking about the voices, random people. When I say random people, it's my friends and family. But the point is I frequently call upon them to help me with my podcast, and a lot of the stuff I do wouldn't be possible without them. So I think it's finally time to honor them. And the only way I know how. Making them do it. So I reached out to everyone that helped make this season possible and asked if they had any stories or facts or things you don't need to know of their own. And they got back to me with this. That's why they put it in All right, maybe not all at the same time. This is Things You Don't Need to Know about the people who helped make Things You Don't Need to Know. The first story is from Max DeCesar. He's appeared in quite a few episodes, but played a starring role in episode 10, Trick Your Friends. That's the signature Max throat clear. You have no idea how many times I've had to edit that out. I've known Ari since kindergarten, I think. I first met him there, and I see him, and he's this, like, mean-looking, like, annoying-ass kid. And I'm like, who is this motherfucker? So naturally, he came over to my house. I go to his house. He has these sticky foam things. Max is talking about arts and crafts foam. You'd peel it off, and you'd stick it on top of each other, and you'd make these designs, or you'd make these 3D shapes, and you'd cut them. I was exceptionally talented at this. I was quite literally making scale models of cities. And I thought it was the coolest thing. And I told my mom about it, and she went out and bought me some. I was like, Ari, I just got some of those. And he flipped out. He was like, no, mom, I can only have these. I'm the only one that can have these. I'm not exaggerating. This happened about three feet behind me right there. I remember exactly where it happened. We're sitting in my mom's kitchen, and he's pointing to a spot on the floor. And I can confirm that is exactly where it happened. I think I beat you off with a stick. No, you didn't hit me with a broom. Don't listen to this fool. I was like, what is this kid's problem? I was like, this is this is something else. And so anyway, he just like flipped out, threw a big temper tantrum because of it. This was just the beginning. Ari would come to my house all the time. And if he didn't get his way, or if he was not happy about something, or he didn't like the color of our bananas, he would throw a fit. And he would threaten to call his dad. And he said, I'm going to leave now. And he would... Step out on my porch, and for a little context, I live on a 100-acre horse farm, so it's not like you're walking down the street. And he'd step out, and he says, I'm walking home. He lives about eight miles away down a highway. He would then get out and just start walking. Walking. I don't know where he ended up. Maybe they changed him, hopefully, taught him some lessons. Maybe it was like Hansel and Gretel type shit. But Ari and I have had our differences. Our next story comes from my friend Robbie, who has been the history expert in almost every single history-related episode. Usually he's introduced as a history student. This is not actually true, (laughs) Um, but he is very passionate about history, and I'm pretty sure he knows everything. So here he is with more history. There's this guy named Christopher Columbus. He asks a lot of people for money to go find India the other way. So he goes, and he finds the Indies, also known as Cuba. After Columbus came back with more golden slaves than could ever have been imagined, the Spanish were like, we can make a lot of money out of this. So they start sending more expeditions, and one that was sent in 1519 was under the leadership of a guy you might know of. His name is Hernan Cortez, quite possibly one of the worst human beings to ever walk the earth. In his journals, when he was trying to cross a river um, and it was too deep, He literally walked on his men's back so they drowned in order to get back to safety himself. He also went to the Aztec Empire, kidnapped their leader Montezuma, and then asked for a completely ridiculous amount of gold as a ransom. 
After receiving that ransom, he had Montezuma give a speech where his own people perceived it as him siding with the Spanish and stoned him to death. Or the Spanish killed him, nobody really knows. So after Cortes conquers the Aztecs, he becomes one of the first governors of New Spain, which essentially was the entirety of South and Central and parts of North America. As you can probably guess, Hernan Cortes continued his reign of terror. Through a combination of the Spanish sword and all of the infectious diseases they brought over from Europe, over 50 million native people lost their lives. Aside from all of the absolute terrible crap that's happened, we can see that around this time period, global temperature like drops slightly. Without anyone inhabiting the area, regrowth of forests soaked up enough CO2 for the average temperature to drop 0.15 degrees Celsius. We could attribute that to any number of factors such as volcanoes, cooling, warming, just the natural cycle of the earth. So it could not be the systematic murder of 60 million people, but I think it's a lot cooler if we think it was. Either way, Hernan Cortez is a massive inspiration to any movie villain ever. Our next guest is Emma Schissel. She's also been in a lot of episodes, including Pickup Artist and Drop Out of School. So dragonfly larvae live underwater for up to four years, but then they only come up to like be dragonflies on land for only like six months. So the larva lives in the water for four years, and then a dragonfly only like is a real dragonfly for six months. That's pretty crazy. Right? Four years of just being a little nymph in the water. <laughs> and then boom, you're a fly. Right. I don't get it. This next one is from Zach Cooper, who's been in a few episodes, nothing too major. And it's actually quite unique because it's legitimately breaking news. On my mother's side, my family used to own a zoo in England. Okay. Everyone has probably heard of Jane Goodall, you know, yes. the famed... Yes gorilla savior. She had someone implanted as a worker. A spy of sorts. Someone to look after the animal's best interests. And they took uh, video evidence of that worker, not other workers, the worker she hired beating the animals and doing lots of horrible things that they could report. They tried that, it didn't work. They were fired, obviously. Not too good there on Jane's part. Guess uh, she wasn't all good. <laughs> yeah, not good at all. <laughs> A little while after that, Zach's family received a mysterious unmarked package containing a jar of jam. The grandmother or the elderly woman on my mother's side ended up opening the jar of jam. And the family came in and they're like, oh, what are you doing? Like, Granny. She was like, oh, we got some jam in the mail. And they're like, oh, uh, was there a name or anything? They're like, no, uh, maybe you shouldn't eat the jam then. So they turned it in to the, uh, the, the local police department and it was eventually found out that there was cyanide in this jar of strawberry jam that was sent to my ha family's house. And they found that someone associated with Jane Goodall had sent the jam there. So she tried to kill one of the elderly people in my family with a jar of jam because she suspected that people were abusing animals when in fact they weren't. And she paid someone to go abuse the animals for her. That's ridiculous. Yeah, fantastic. That's, that's a great story. <laughs> now, there's no evidence that Jane Goodall tried to poison Zach's grandma, but his family did have a newfound appreciation for how far radical animal activists would go. We'll be right back. The next person to take the stage is Harry Nelson. <laughs> Harry's my producer, and as I've said many times before, he does a fantastic job at letting me do whatever the hell I want even if it means making a clip episode. Do you know what silica gel is? 
I do. It's the gel packets in my beef jerky. Mm -hmm. Do you know what it's for? Uh, I believe it's to take the moisture out of things. That's true. It can it can absorb like two times its body weight, which is cool. That's why they put it in everything. It's in electronics. It's in purses. It's in beef jerky. Then on the side of the packet, it always just like says in huge letters like "Do not eat," like "Do not ingest," not food. And I was always like, "Why are they putting poison in with my beef jerky?" Like if I'm absentmindedly eating beef jerky, which if I'm eating beef jerky, I'm doing so absentmindedly. It's never something I'm too deliberate about. I'm, I could just like easily, you know, just jam that shit right in my gaping maw. So then I looked it up because I'm like, well, what happens if I do that? Is it gonna, am I gonna die? Turns out you can eat silica gel. It's fine. It's inert. It'll just pass right through you. There's no nutrition in it, but you can eat it. Are you sure about this? Or are you sure it's not just gonna dry you out? You know, it's probably not gonna make you feel good. But the reason that it says do not eat it, it's like a choking hazard thing. It's not like a, uh, this will make your insides turn to dust. So do you want to eat some now? You know some. what's going to happen is I'm going to eat this stuff. My voice is going to get dried out and then we aren't going to have any episodes this week. Oh, I'm not going to listen to this. Ari's voice is too dry. Must have been the silica gel week. <laughs> Must have been the silica gel. So yeah, enjoy the silica gel, everyone. But also don't eat it. I'm not suggesting you eat it. I'm just saying you could. This next one comes from my father. It's about his time playing Ultimate Frisbee in college. I've heard it quite a few times, but it's one of my favorites, so I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. In 1978, I came to Cornell, and unfortunately, all of the great players that had come to Cornell left and formed a team in Boston, and it was called Boston Aerodisc. So they formed this team, and the rest of us were just a bunch of rookies. Throughout the season, they learned, and they trained, and they ended up making it to regionals. But when they got there, they were up against a tough opponent, their arch nemesis. The team comprised of all their best players, Boston Aerodisc. These were all of our heroes and, you know, and the fellow players who'd gone to Boston Aerodisc. And Boston was certain they would win. They had this little uh, bucket of champagne um, on a stand next to the field with champagne and they were waiting to drink when they, when they won the regionals and were gonna go on to the nationals. But it wasn't gonna be that easy. The Cornell boys put up a strong fight and it all came down to the last play. And so uh, this guy Paul Berg says, I'm gonna wing it into the end zone. And the first guy says, okay, I'm gonna, I got it. I got it. And then and another person in the in the circle says, "Okay, but if you don't get it, I'll I'll, I'll get it." And then the third person says, and, "And if you don't get it, I'll get it." So Frisbee went into the end zone. First person tapped it, couldn't quite get a handle on it. The second person came in, tapped it, couldn't get a handle on it. Third one came sliding in and caught the frisbee exactly in the order that we had called it, and won the game. So it was a, it was quite an upset. It was an amazing. It was my first year. We didn't win nationals, but we went to the nationals uh, in Atlanta and had a great time. Fantastic. That's one of my favorite stories that you have. Uh, thank you. Next up, we have Claire, who's the latest member of our production team and is talking about something that I have literally always wanted to know, which is, can the dog actually see the TV? First off, they see screens differently. They require different frames per second. So like humans are the stupidest with their eyes. So they see at a different like frame rate than we do. Exactly. So we see at about 24 frames per second. What do cats and dogs see at? Cats are at about 100 and dogs are at 70. 
So what do they see? Just like lines? Just light? Yeah, exactly. So like single individual horizontal lines. And then their depth perception gets weirder because they have stronger hearing. Like they can't tell how far or close the image is. It's crazy. No wonder the dog got so angry whenever I'd look at the screen. Claire also had another great little tidbit of information. I got someone to corroborate <laughs> that Jane Goodall's a bitch. You have a story? My friend went to a private school where Jane Goodall was like an alumni or visited for some reason and she was just awful. And so the tale <laughs> grows thicker. Crazy, right? Who knew the clip episode could end up as real journalism? Speaking of real journalism, here's Shane McKeon. You probably recognize those two words as the ones that come right after I say additional help from in the end credits of every episode. So Ari, do you ever, do you ever listen to NPR? No. Never? Mm, only when it's on and I want to get out of the car, but my dad's like, NPR is on. We can't get out yet. <laughs> We're just sitting in the driveway. When you've been forcibly made to listen to NPR, have you ever listened to the, like, the, the newscast at the top of the hour? Yes, I've heard it. Okay. Live from NPR News, I'm Shay Stevens. The thing with that newscast is it's broken into two parts. The first part is like a three-minute national newscast. After those three minutes, the local station does their news. The issue is you need to basically finish your newscast at exactly four minutes past the hour. Because at four minutes past the hour, there are 800 local hosts who are going to begin their local newscast. The thing is, though, the stories you're telling, the tape you're playing, like it might vary in terms of the length. But the thing is, you need to finish exactly at 4.03 and 59 seconds. My question to you is, you've got like a variable amount of time you got to fill. Sometimes it's like five seconds, sometimes it's like 20 seconds. How would you kind of solve that problem? That's, that's a tough one. I don't know. Uh, I mean, you could, you could put music, you could babble on about nothing. You could play one of those weird clips where they're at the office and they kind of like shuffle their papers like, well, you know, Brian, that was a good one. I mean, I guess that's how they do it in like local news is I guess why you see every local news broadcast end with like the anchors like chatting with each other. But like if you're doing the news for NPR, it's like just you. You're like sitting in a room and you're reading from a script and you're staring at the clock on the wall. And it's 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 like a tightrope walk because it's gotta be so precise. It's incredible that it works. Yeah. So what are they doing? It's too short. I'm going to play it for you. On Wall Street, the Dow was down 150 points to 34,283. The Nasdaq closed up 140 points today. You're listening to NPR. So you notice how every time they do a newscast, they end with the stock information. Yeah. Let's see. This is from 5 p.m. On Wall Street, the Dow dropped 150 points. The Nasdaq was up 140. This is NPR. So you see that one, it was a little more clipped. I mean, once you notice it, sometimes you'll hear on the radio like, the Dow Jones Industrial Average finished up at 18,800. And, and they'll, they'll read it all out because they're literally trying to fill 15 seconds. It becomes so much more interesting when you just envision the person reading the news is like literally staring at a clock on the wall and they're looking at the seconds and just every syllable that comes out of their mouth is to hit the last syllable in NPR at exactly 59 seconds to the hour because they then just need that one second of silence where then the local station cuts the feed and goes to whatever local news they're going to do. Welcome back to Public Access. Thank God the show's edited. This last story is Adam McKay. 
was like my junior year in college. I went to Temple University and I was with a bunch of friends and we're just incredibly stoned. And it's like three o'clock in the afternoon and we're listening to music. All of a sudden, just in my stone mind, I'm like, I'm going to call the Phillies and make a trade. And I just, without saying anything to anyone, I just picked up the phone and I dialed information and I got the Phillies general office number. And back then I used to follow baseball a little bit. Now I don't as much. And so I knew some details. So I, I knew the name of the Phillies GM and I knew the name of the Red Sox GM because I was a Red Sox fan back then. And I just said, yeah, it's Lou Gorman for Bill. And I tried to lower my voice a little bit. Yeah, it's Lou Gorman for Bill. And they're like, one second, please. And there was on hold music. Meanwhile, my friends are stoned, music's playing. And then phone picks up uh, Bill Giles' office. And I'm like, yeah, it's Lou from Boston for Bill. I figured these guys all know each other. It's like, one second, please. Once again, on hold music. And then the phone picks up and it's like, hey, Lou, how you doing? I'm like, Bill, how are you? <laughs> and and uh, he's like, I'm good, I'm good. What, what are you calling me for? And I just tried to think of the most realistic trade I could think of. And I was like, you know, we, we need a utility infielder. You guys got Randy ready over there. You're not really using him. What, what do you think of Larry Anderson, middle reliever we got? And clearly, first off, my voice didn't sound like Lou Gorman, but also there's probably terminology I was using that's ridiculously naive. So there was this long pause and he just goes, who is this? And I like, hung up the phone like the phone was suddenly on fire. So I was like, oh my God. And all my stone friends were like, what, what? And I told them, like, no, you didn't. And my one friend was like, no, I heard him. He really did it. That was then that I realized like, wow, you can really, just with a phone, you can do shit. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. Hopefully a lot of it was stuff you didn't need to know. And um, yeah, I just wanted to give one last thank you to everyone that has helped throughout the season, even the people that weren't in this episode. You've all just, I literally couldn't have done it without you. So. Thank you, and um, as always, thanks for what I almost said watching. Wow, it's been a long time since I did that. <laughs> thanks for listening. Things You Don't Need to Know is a Hyper Object and 3 Uncanny 4 production. The show is written and edited by me, Ari Kagan, and produced by Harry Nelson and also me. Additional help from Shane McKeon, Nuna Sharafadine, and everyone else that I haven't thanked this entire season. Our executive producers are Adam McKay and Laura Mayer. The show is mixed by nice manners. If you like things you don't need to know, head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could leave a review, I'd really appreciate it. Anyway, see you next week. It's going to be our last week, so it's a big one. Season finale. All right, bye.